care what you heard. Don't care what you heard. I'm taking it all because I want the world. Yeah, I want the world. Yeah, I want the world. All right, what is up, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of my podcast, Unleashed. And today we have a special guest with us. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself? Absolutely, absolutely. The name is Nick Maytash. Uh, I'm a men's life coach and author, husband, father. Uh, I wear many, many hats. But um, Kai and I have have connected uh, through Facebook and through social media over the last couple of years. And um, he asked me to hop on here and kind of speak to what I know, which is helping men kind of find their way back to their heart, back to their purpose. And um, that can come through def- many different avenues, whether it be through their business, through their uh, their family, it doesn't matter. Uh, I just sit with many men uh, as I coach them and allow them to find their emotional self, find their heart, find their center, um, and then kind of unleash that on the world, which is the most beautiful part, is watching them actually take this part that's innately within them um, and go use that in all the beautiful ways that they can. So that's what I, who I am. That's what I do. And uh, yeah, Kai asked me to come jam with, with him for a while, and that's what I'm here for. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the conversation and where things may go. Awesome, man. So what led you to doing what you do now? I, I kind of joke about this and say it's my wife's fault um, because before we met, I was in uh, a relationship for about four and a half years and I was kind of just going through the motions in that relationship. I was going through the motions at the gym. I was going through the motions in my job. Just everything was very much mediocre. It was, and I had accepted it. I was like, okay, I guess this is what life is because kind of, I looked around at my friend group, my my family, the people that I grew up with. And I was like, there's not a lot of people doing a lot of crazy stuff. So I guess this is what the reality of adulthood is. I was 24 at the time. Um, but there was still this this part of me that was like, no, no, I don't I don't buy that. There's got to be something better here. Um, so the, the tipping point was when I broke it off with the girl that I was with for four and a half years. I knew in my heart that it wasn't going to be my forever girl. And wasting more time there would have just been a disservice to both of us. So broke it off with that girl. And I met my wife a month later. And the, the experience that I've had with my wife has been that she shook me in terms of what I thought was possible for love, relationship, and connection. Because like I said, I was, I was going through the motions and had almost accepted that it wasn't supposed to be like a fairy tale. It wasn't supposed to be you know, passionate love. It was just supposed to be you grow old with each other and you, you tolerate each other. That seemed to be what I had accepted. And then when I met my wife, I was like, oh, shit, like this is, this is different. This is legit. Like this is what I had, had thought love could be like. And what, what happened was when, when I kind of had this realization that she did that to me, she like inflicted this, this uh, thing on me that said, wow, I thought it was one way. And she made it very clear that it was something different. So every other bucket of my life, I started to examine and look at well, if, if I thought love was supposed to be one way and she showed me that it was different, I wonder what it would look like if I changed my belief system around money. I wonder what it would look like if I changed how I looked at my health and fitness, if I got more intentional with these things. Because it, it was truly like this awakening in, in one area of life through, through my relationship with my wife. That I was like, it's, it's very clear that what I thought was real before was not real. And it was just my my perception. It was just what I had seen through my limited experience. And by meeting my wife, it just kind of shook me to my core. And I was like, okay, let's let's explore what 
the other buckets of life would look like if I were to open myself up to the idea that they might be different. And through the process of getting married to her and having our first first kid, the uh, it, it just kept unraveling into uh, it went from curiosity to uh, diving into my own, my own, uh, demons. I didn't have a ton of demons, but just diving into my inner world, diving into my thoughts and my emotions and my beliefs, because by the time that we had gotten married and we started to have a family, it became this like huge, huge fire within me of, I need to be the best guy I can be for my wife and for our future family, because that's what I owe them. That's what I owe to them. Um, so it, it kind of went from a curiosity of, I wonder what life could be like if I started getting more intentional to once we got married, I was like, okay, it's game time. Like I need to turn into the best man I can be. And then when we had our daughter, I was like, all right, now it's really game time. We're turning it up to turn it up to a hundred on this one. Um, and it just kind of became the snowball of intentional living. And, you know, I, I grew through doing my own research, doing my own study of myself. I hired coaches and mentors to kind of dig deeper into my blind spots. Um, I started eventually coaching and mentoring other men that had been kind of in a similar spot to where I was when I first started my journey. And uh, that kind of unraveled to to where we are now, where, you know, I lead a, a group of men called the Evolved Man Membership, which I love. It's such it's a great, great community of of husbands, fathers, just guys trying to be better humans. And, you know, I have my one-on-one clients as well, but it really was born from my wife kind of shaking up my world. And what happened after that was just the result of me being curious about what life could be like if I started to see everything else through a similar lens of things could be way better than I thought they were. Mm. Now, did you yourself have a male role model to look up to? Or did, was it like, because uh, I, I know a lot of men, they don't have that male role model to look up to. They don't know what really manhood is, or even honestly, being in adulthood is, they don't know what their purpose is. I know a lot of men still that are lost, they're confused, they're going through a bunch of different things. They don't know what, you know, why am I here for? So was that you or did you have someone to look up to growing up? I mean, I definitely had an amazing father in my life and still is in my life. My mom and him just celebrated their anniversary a few days ago. Um, trying to like calculate in my head how many years it's been for them. I think 38 years would be, if I'm if I'm adding them correctly in my mind, it would be 38 years they celebrated recently. So, you know, I had an amazing uh, model to go off of in terms of, what marriage looked like, what uh, fatherhood looked look like, what partnership looked like from from uh, you know a male to a female, um, and my dad wasn't like a bombastic uh, guy that would sit down and, and have heart to hearts and lessons with me. We didn't we didn't have chats, deep chats. He was just someone that you could observe and just kind of see like that is the way that it's supposed to be. Everybody felt safe around him. Everybody um, continues to respect him for who he is. Like, yeah, I, I have grown up with the same crew of friends for God, like 20 years now, and they all know my, my family well. And whenever, um, you know, it, when there, whenever there's like an objectively kind hearted, like quality male action taken amongst us when we're sitting with my friends and I they're like, Oh, that's a Keith Maytash moment. Like they know. And it's not because he sat with us and, and had chats about what manhood looks like. He was just the model of it. And he was a strong, silent guy, but everybody felt safe around him. Everybody felt like he was take like he was taking care of us all the time, whether it be, you know, making dinner uh, for us or, you know, anytime my, my car would break down, he would find a way to fix it. Even if he didn't know how to off the top of his head, he would find a way. 
Um, so I definitely had an excellent male role model in that regard. I wasn't lost on that, which I know that there's a lot of men that are, are looking for that role model for them. So I've been very lucky in that. Um, I've kind of seen this progression for, for me in terms of, you know, my role and what it's supposed to look like for me as a husband and father. And, um, I think my dad, I've said this before on like social media that the generation of fathers and husbands that I'm a part of that like our age group is, is like the most important version of fatherhood yet, because, you know, my dad's generation, it was, it was strong and silent, but everybody felt safe. Everybody felt loved. Everybody felt cared for. And the generation even before his was even more standoffish. It was almost as if generation to generation, the role of father and husband was, um, you know, a couple of generations ago, it was kind of standoffish. You make the money, that's your job, that's it. And then with my dad's generation, a little more closeness, a little bit more loving, a little bit more, um, you know, in, in, in terms of the family dynamic, like being a part of it, like I just see that now that I'm here and I'm a father, that it's just about being even more of that, but also being vocal about uh, the love that's there and making sure that my kids know that they are loved and make sure that they understand that. And I, I felt that from my dad, but there wasn't a lot of conversation around what love was supposed to be like or what fatherhood and manhood was supposed to be like. So I had a great, great role model in my dad. I'm never going to knock the guy. He's an amazing dude. But I even see that there's more work to be done. There's more modeling that needs to be carried out. And it's not just I can't be a carbon copy of my dad. I have to be a better version of him. And that's, that, you know, that's what I want for my kids too. I want them to be better versions of me, but also giving them a fine model to, to work off of. Right. So how does a man who doesn't have that male figure to look up to, to conquer this, how do they find themselves and develop themselves as a man and find happiness? Well, I mean, there's definitely something to be said about having the role model. Like I said, I, I've been very lucky. Um, and I won't discount that at all. I think I've gotten a head start in terms of, you know, fatherhood and and uh, being a husband because it, I mean I just had a rock star model to look up to. I don't think that anybody is lost if they haven't had that. It's just that they have to kind of be aware of that the lack of that that space for them because they they probably saw something that was a lot different. Um, their experience of what fatherhood looked like may be skewed from their own experience of um, what they what they went through. And I think the awareness of it is one. But the second thing is, as you grow into whatever role you wanted to be, like you need to craft that from not from a place of this is what I saw, so I think this is what it's supposed to happen, but really getting clear on what do you actually want yourself to look like as a father and husband. And allow that to guide the way rather than going off of whatever your default setting is. Because your default setting is going to be um, based on an experience that didn't have something strong enough for you to hold on to. Because everybody can create the experience from within. They can take a look at what they want to be as a husband and father. I mean, you see it all the time, guys that didn't have a father and they become the most amazing fathers because they knew and understood what it felt like to not have a father there. It like completely gives them the contrast that motivates them to be the best father ever. Um, so it's definitely possible. It's just realizing that our default is always going to be to copycat and, and copy and paste our experience. So we kind of have to wake up and be aware that it doesn't have to be like that, nor should it be like that. So if there was something that we didn't appreciate about our past, 
and we didn't appreciate that there wasn't a father there, or maybe that father that was there didn't give us what we wanted or needed, um, really understanding that that's okay that that happened to you, but you still get to choose something different. It's not that you are um, destined to be like the person that, that was a part of your birth. You're not destined to be like the guy who either walked away or the guy that wasn't there or the guy that was there but wasn't really very active in your your raising. You know, you don't have to be the carbon copy of the generation before. It's always a choice that you get to evolve from and break those generational patterns. But when you don't have that that visible model in front of you, it's going to take more awareness on your part. Because for me, like I said, this is why it's easy for me. I don't have to take too much conscious thought to realize what's right or wrong, what I like or don't like about being a dad, because I saw it. When you don't have it, it just has to be more of a conscious experience because you have to really craft in your mind, what is it going to look like? What do I want to be? How do I want to feel in that role so that my kids are taken care of? Whereas for me, it's just like, okay, I have a pretty good idea. If I want to make it better, I can be be more conscious, which I am, but um, I'm not starting from scratch. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So that actually really applies to me because that's ex- actually exactly what I did. So with the way that I was brought up, uh, my dad wasn't really there. And if he was, he wasn't there in the way that I needed him. Yep. And this applies to, to a lot of men that I know as well. Their father was maybe they were there in their life, but they didn't work. They weren't given their son that guidance that they felt that, you know, he needed to grow as a teenager, to transition to adulthood as a healthy adult male. Yep. Uh, but there's something that you said that, that uh, you're talking about your wife. So how important is the right woman to achieving your goals? Because I've heard this from a lot of men, like they'll, they'll be confused or whatever it is, or they'll just go through the motions of every day. But then when they find that right woman for them, it's like something just happens to them and just, you know, their life changes. They just, you know, enjoy life a lot more. So how important is that? And what does the right woman do for men? I mean, I wouldn't say that it's everything, but it's a big part of it because especially if you are, are someone who is looking to or have a goal of being partnered up, being married, having that soulmate that rides with you, like it needs to be someone that's going to compliment you, but also inspire you to, to be called to do more. Um, you know, my wife is an amazing woman and I don't love her because she loved me as I was. I, I do love that part of her. Like she saw me when I was 24 and I had flaws and she loved that part of me, but she also loved my potential. And she loved that I, I, I was going to create something. She didn't know what it was. I didn't know what it was, but she saw within me that like he's husband material, he's father material. And I don't know what's going to happen in terms of his career or whatever, but like, there's something here. Um, and like having that, that trust and faith from my partner, it's everything. Like it doesn't have to be fairy tale stuff, but you have to have a partner that, sees that within you and is your biggest cheerleader because otherwise trying to grow and evolve it's a it's not like a a exhausting and painful process at least it doesn't have to be yes there's going to be challenge along the way but it doesn't have to beat you down into oblivion it can be challenging though and when you have someone by your side that sees you taking those lumps and still is there saying like you got this that's like that's in it's it's priceless you can't put a price tag on that you can't put a level of value in terms of like ROI. If we're talking business, my wife's presence in my life is the most ROI I've ever had. And it's just because she sees that part of me that on those days where I don't see it, where I forget who I am, she calls it out of me. And 
and and she brings it forward. And it's not like she's always directly saying like, yo, buck up, buddy. She just loves me in a way that I see that I'm worthy of whatever I'm chasing and then I wake the hell back up. So it's it's so important. But it's, is it like the only way to find what you're looking for in this world? I don't think so. But you know, when you're committing to life with someone and in that life you have goals and you, you will evolve as a human because that's what you're here to do, if that person isn't honoring that evolution and being a part of that and seeing that as, as good, it can be taxing because, and this happened with my wife too. I'm not going to say that we've had this perfect evolution. Like when you agree to spend your life with someone and all of a sudden one of them starts changing because they want to evolve and grow and, and build a business, whatever, like I was, my wife kind of freaked out in the beginning. She's like, this isn't the person that I married. Like we, we had an agreement that you were going to be you. And I was like, I'm still me. I just, there's something else that's, that's here with me and here for me. And, uh, you know, she eventually came around, got on board and she understands it completely now. But at the end of the day, like it was because I was still at, at my core, the same guy. I just wanted different things. I wanted to grow and evolve. Whereas before I was like content, just riding along and, and doing what I do. But to answer your question, having the right partner and selecting the right partner is essential. It's not that you have to choose the exact right person off the bat. They don't have to have the perfect stat sheet. Because Lord knows I didn't have the perfect stat sheet when my wife met me. Like objectively, when we met, we lived an hour and a half away from each other. I was, uh, when we met, I was three years younger than her and she'd only dated older dudes. Um, I had just gotten out of a four and a half year relationship like a month prior. Like the stat sheet didn't look great, but after getting to know me, she she saw what I needed her to see, which was the potential of, of who I've become and will continue to become. Um, so the stat sheet doesn't have to be perfect up front and you don't have to agree to the stat sheet, but you have to find that, that heart within that person that says, this person wants to ride this thing out with me. And that's, it's so huge. So huge. So you talk about men showing and using more emotions. Why is that important? And how does a man harness emotions as strength versus not letting his emotions overcome him? So the emotional side of things, I mean, this is kind of my, my bread and my butter, if you will, the emotional stuff for men. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's something that we've been taught to, to see as not valuable. And that's, it's a shame because, I mean, everybody has emotions. It's a human experience and, and everybody gets triggered by stuff. Everybody gets triggered by, by anger, but also triggered by love. You find yourself in this moment where you're all of a sudden just mush. Um, we all have that but men have been told that this isn't valuable and our value comes from how much money we can make and how much we can provide. So anything that feels emotional, we've been taught to kind of shut off because it, it doesn't, um, it's just not valuable. It, there's, there's nothing that's, uh, it's use. It's not, it doesn't have utility in the world of the masculine. At least that's our perception in our, in our conditioning. And, um, you know, when you find yourself in those emotional spots and you don't know how to process because everybody's been telling you that it's not useful, um, you can find yourself holding on to emotion that you don't need to. You can find yourself writing things out and trying to push through overwhelm and pushing through anxiety and pushing through frustration and, and grief when all you really had to do was be okay with feeling something. And, and sit with it for a moment and allow it to leave after you've acknowledged it and you'd be much better off because there's so many guys that I coach 
they own their own businesses, they they are climbing the corporate ladder, whatever they're doing. And if we, and if you get, if you can't catch the emotional side of yourself and acknowledge it and say, oh, I'm feeling anxious today and sit with that and realize, or, or like tell yourself a different story. So the anxiety gets to dissipate. It can really handicap your growth because you're, you're like carrying these huge, huge bags of luggage of filled with all of your old memories of failure, filled with all of the anxiety that you haven't processed. And it, it can drag you down. And if, if you're trying to succeed, if you're trying to make money, if you're trying to do amazing things, being emotionally fluid and being able to work through them is going to allow you to move faster and more efficiently. So I think that is the first and foremost thing with men and their emotions is being able to process them in real time rather than ignoring them. And then the the other side of it is being able to feel is like is a skill set. And if we want to feel joy and bliss and gratitude and and um, freedom and all the beautiful emotions, like we have to work that muscle for a while. We have to really engage with our emotional self. And that emotional side of us, the energetic side of us is a huge part of how we can create success because we have to, we have to understand what the why behind what we're doing. We have to understand that it's going to feel like freedom when we get there. We have to understand it's going to feel like love or connection when we get there. And if we don't have any association with that, it just feels like work. It feels like hustle. It feels like grind. And you know that can sustain you for a little bit, but you're going to burn out if you don't have any emotional ties to your work, if you don't have any gratitude for the things you already have, if you don't have any emotional ties to the joy that you'll feel when you finally hit the mountaintop or any emotional ties to the love and connection you have at home, you're going to burn yourself out because you're just taking action for the sake of action. And if you don't know why what's happening, if you don't know why you're going to to where you're going or why you're working so hard, eventually it's not going to make any sense. And you're going to get 20 years into a career, 10 years into a business and be like, what the hell am I doing? And it's only because we haven't learned how to feel. It's only because we haven't understood that emotions are are super valuable in business, in life, in love. And if you you see that and, and start to experience it, everything gets better because you're you're more agile in the experience rather than just being very rigid and thinking that it's all about the work and the hustle and the grind. Mm. So what is the process of being able to work through all this? Like, for example, um, going back to what I said earlier, a lot of men do feel like they're going through life on their own. They're trying to take on the world on their own. Um, some some men may not have that you know male figure or even that, that friend because even myself growing up, I had a bunch of friends and they didn't really have fathers in their lives. So it's kind of like we were all just kind of trying to figure out manhood and masculinity and becoming an adult and doing everything that we should have been taught uh, when we were younger, you know, just mm-hmm. as we go. So we didn't really know what we we're doing. It's kind of like the blind leading the blind. Yeah. So can men do it on their own? And if they can, how, what does that process look like? from taking a man from um, where he is now to where he can become. So, I mean, in time, you can, I think in general, we're talking about timeline, trying to do stuff on your own is kind of a fool's errand because you're, you're going to need the contribution of others, whether it be their actual physical help, like they're helping you with your business or they're helping you in the gym, they're helping you get out of bed, bed and holding you accountable to the things you said you wanted to do. These things are essential, but also having like a tribe around you that has different beliefs than you, has uh, different experiences that they can share with you that will give you context and give you contrast to what you've experienced. It's, it's, it's one of the, I mean, this is, we're a tribal species. 
This is why we've been this way for a long time, because we we do better when we ride together. Um, so I think that it's it's really, really important that we have a group around us or, or several people that we can lean on, because when we are left to our own devices and we start working off of that default setting that I was talking about, our default setting is really just going to go back to protection. It's going to go back to our comfort zone. It's going to go back to whatever feels safest. And oftentimes our growth and evolution is not going to be found where it's safe, um, at least perceptively. Like it's, it is safe. Like stepping into the unknown can be very, very safe and has been for many people. But if we feel that it's going to be scary and fearful, then we're going to turn back. So having you know, a group of people around you that can remind you that it's going to be okay and that they have your back and that they can, you know, kind of mentor you and share their experiences. It's only going to give you a further, uh, uh, um, a larger kind of pool of information to, to make your decisions out of. Because if we're just one person with one limited experience in this world, and we're trying to make decisions off of the brain that's been built off of those one limited experiences, or that one set of limited experience, I should say, we there's no way that we can jump out of or or move past those limitations that we've created for ourselves by trying to do it by ourselves. Does that make sense? Yes. And when we bring in people, then we have other ideas, other minds, other beliefs that we can lean on and say, okay, well, it worked for George. Maybe it will. Maybe it'll work for me. It worked for Jeff or, or Jeremy or whatever. I just used a bunch of G and J names, but having these, these other people around you, it gives you different contexts. Whereas if you're sitting by yourself and trying to think your way through it, you're using your brain, which is an apparatus built off of your experiences. You're using that, that apparatus that is truly very limited to whatever you've only you've gone through. And that, that really is a key factor, isn't it? It's surrounding yourself with other men who are on a similar mission, I guess, uh, if you want to say that, as you are. So what are some key indicators and traits men should look for and other men to surround themselves with? I mean, I think one of the big things is openness. And it's a rare thing to find within men. But, you know, Definitely. it's, it's I, I kind of joke with, with my, my clients and and just people in general, and we when we speak about these types of things, is oftentimes when we are growing up, we have our core group of friends. Like I, when I got married, I had nine groomsmen. These are my boys. Love them to death. I will always have their back, even when we disagree. And <laughs> we've been disagreeing a lot lately in some some aspects, but I love them. I do. Most of our conversations throughout the time that I've known them, which has been about twenty years or so for each one of those guys very surface level, very much. What's the football score? How's your fantasy team doing? Um, did you get to the gym this week? Um, you know, how, how are things in the marriage, but it's not a real question. It's a, I hope everything's okay. Please don't unload on me. Cause I don't have the time for it. It's, it, it's, it seems to be very surface level and I'm not knocking those guys. Cause I probably reflect the same back, back to them because that's been just the norm of what our experience has been as through our friendship. But when you get into, when you're looking for, uh, you know, friendships and mentorships that will allow you to grow, openness and vulnerability, and really asking uh, questions that that dig into our soul are essential. And again, it's, it, it's tricky to come by because guys are innately going to have, at least from from what I've seen from other people who have kind of said this to me, is a very similar experience to what I've seen with my friends. It's always very surface level. It's always. 
Hey man, how's it going? How's work? Cool. Great. All right. Let's have a beer. Let's watch the game. Cool. Like that's the energy of male relationships. So I think one of the bigger things is seeking relationships with, with men that you can ask those big questions and not feel, um, not feel like you're being judged for trying to go deep. And I think that you often will find those relationships best when you purposefully put yourself in, in a group, let's say it's a Facebook group or like a paid membership or some group coaching program, like where you know that people have have skin in the game and that they're there to grow as well. That's going to be a pretty good indicator that you're going to have some real conversations. Like in my my membership group, like we're not talking about fantasy football. We're talking about guys who have lost their dads and, and they're trying to figure out emotionally what that looks like. We're talking about guys who have have a hard time trying to find a having a hard time trying to be fun with their kids because they've been so programmed that their job is to make money and that's it. Like these are the conversations that are evolutionary, but you do have to seek that openness and vulnerability from the other side of it so that you know it's a safe space for you to also open up. So I think that's probably the biggest one. So what are some other common traits that you see that men do that lead to unhappiness and unfulfillment and how do you help them through that? Well, one of the the bigger things is is really just not being conscious of our conditioning, being that um, our culture, and I've said this a couple of times, but it's worth repeating, is that our culture in terms of our masculinity and what we're supposed to be doing as men, it's very much centered around our our role as the provider. And I'm not saying that this shouldn't be a role that we have. I think it's Um, a beautiful role. I honor it so much. Like I love being the person that puts food on the table for my family. My wife certainly contributes. I'm not the only breadwinner around here, but it's a, it's a, it's an honorable thing to have. Right. But so many of us have just followed this conditioning with such, uh, with such a rigid nature that they don't see that there's other things that they bring to the table than just being a provider. So in in the course that I I created called the Alpha Accelerator, it's something that um, some of the guys in the membership get as as a part of their access. Is the first module is here's your masculine conditioning. This is what we've been taught. This is what we were shown as young boys leading into to manhood. Is basically your job is to just make money. And the result of of seeing that and hearing that and not asking any questions about it or thinking twice is that when we get into adulthood we start making decisions for a paycheck because we assume that that's our role. So when you make a a decision solely for a paycheck, what will happen is you will take a job that you're settling for because it, it, you know, pays the bills, or you might build a business that you don't even love, but you know that it's going to make some side of some sort of money and you get 10 years down the road and you realize you wake up to the fact that I didn't even enjoy this in the first place because our conditioning pushes us towards that provider role so aggressively and says that that's the most valuable thing we can do, our happiness is kind of tossed to the side as we become young men um, because we see that our our heart and our soul, the things that we're passionate about, our curiosities, these things aren't as valuable. Those things that kind of spark the happiness within us, those those moments where, you know, you're, you're learning to play the guitar or, um, you know, you're, you're in a, a poker league or something like that that just brings you joy. We shut those things down because when we get to a certain age, we start feeling like we need to be serious about manhood. And usually if we don't think about it, manhood to us often means provider. And that means a paycheck. And that means sacrifice everything else so that you can go to work and and make the money. 
So it's really just a result of not waking up to what's available to us that we can still make money and enjoy our lives. We can do both. We can have both. It's not like we have to, you know, have all the things that we love exit so that we can make a, make a paycheck. Those things can be available while still being a loving father, while still enjoying things for yourself, whether it be fantasy football or, um, you know, being a part of some kind of like softball league or golf league, like you can do these things and still make money. We don't have to throw everything away. And we just have this unconscious, unconscious favoring of that paycheck that we toss everything else out. And then five, 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, we realize that we aren't happy. And then we wonder why. But it's probably just because that we, we've made sacrifices that we never had to make. We just thought we had to because of what our conditioning said we had to do. So it, it sounds like, you, you can correct me if I'm wrong, it's basically getting away from our conditioning, like our basic primal instincts, uh, becoming that provider protector. It's mm -hmm. actually like feeling more of your emotions. It's choosing more consciously what type of life you want to have. It's uh, doing something more that fulfills you, you know, feeling every moment of life. It's enjoying it, not just uh, going through the motions, as you said, because I know a lot of men that go through that. They just kind of, you know, put their head down, they go to work. And then, as you said, five, five years, 10 years pass. And they wake up or they look up and they're like, man, where did my life go? I'm not doing anything that I want to do. I'm not really happy with what I'm at. Maybe they're not in the best marriage that they want to be in. Um, but does that sound accurate so far with everything that you've said or is there more to it? I mean, that's that's the bulk of it. And, and you said it right too with, with the marriage stuff. Like we, we assume that the American dream is have wife, kids, steady job. And I, I think that narrative is definitely changing as we move move you know further and further along in this century. It's definitely becoming more entrepreneurial, and you know the in terms of what a traditional relationship looks like, that stuff is changing as well. So I think the narrative is changing, but our conditioning is still coming from the generation before us that's raising us. So we're just kind of taking their thoughts and ideas and, and copying and pasting it. So we marry, marry people that we know are probably not our person but they look like they could probably take care of our kids or they look like, um, you know, they're not going to leave us, <laughs> which is a terrible, a terrible reason to marry someone because they're not going to leave you. That's a, a completely right. fear-based decision. But the point being, we, we don't wake up to what we actually want until we've experienced such, such an amount of time of kind of losing ourselves that we wake up because of the experience of, of not seeing ourselves when we look in the mirror for too long. Whereas if we just proactively started to address these things when we became a young man, when we stepped into it at 21, 22, even though I know, cause I was there too, 21, 22, nobody wants to talk about this stuff. You wanna go out and drink and party and all that stuff and I get it. But having some background in, in the conditioning side of things and, and making sure you're making some sound decisions for yourself at that moment can be life-changing. Could you imagine how many, how many guys out there wish they could have those 10 years back that they wasted thinking they were doing the right thing, but losing themselves in the process. And, you know, if we could somehow supply that to the, the young 20, 20 year old male, that's like, I'm, I guess I'm going to marry this girl. Cause I've been dating her for two years and it seems like the right next step. I'm like, okay, sit down with me. We need to talk. <laughs> um, yeah. but it's, it's definitely a pattern of not recognizing that we're just kind of falling asleep at the wheel and entering into a life that we thought was supposed to be the right thing 
and we never chose it. It was an unconscious decision. Mm, so it's more of not settling into, you know, the life that is kind of given to you or cast upon you without, you know, your own choice and actually choosing and creating a life that you want to live pretty mm -hmm. much. Yeah. So, so you said something today on Facebook that I really liked. You said um, you can absolutely be doing the right things and not see any results. The action won't matter if you don't believe you are worthy of the result it would, would create. Can you uh, expand on that for us? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, there is a, a very large uh, personal development culture out there. And some of it, not all of it, but some of it is very based on putting in the work and taking massive action. And there is a time and place for this stuff. I'm not going to say that we're just going to meditate on our pillow and the life of our dreams is going to show up at our door. There's definitely action to be taken. But when we favor the action so much that we ignore um, some of our thoughts and our beliefs and our, our, our um, opinions of, of our own worthiness, it, it gets to a point where you're putting in work, putting in work, saying that you're working towards X amount of dollars or a certain amount of clients, but you've never really addressed the fact that your patterns or your, your past experience, your fears, you don't think that you're worthy of where you're trying to go. And the nature of things is if you don't think that it's, it's yours when you get there, you're going to self-sabotage. You're going to um, find ways that it doesn't work out because it doesn't matter how ambitious you are. It doesn't matter how big your goal is or how hard you work. If what's at the finish line is not something that you think you're allowed to have, you're, you're going to reject it and you're going to reject the opportunity to have it. And that's just a really sad reality of that culture of just keep working hard, just keeping work, keep working hard, keep working hard. Because if you don't think that you're worthy of where you're going, you're going to find a detour. You're going to find a way to derail this process. And, and, you know, you, on top of that, when you derail the process and you don't get to where you wanted to go, you're going to be upset that you didn't get to where you want to go. But then you're also going to be upset that you wasted so much time not getting what you wanted out of the process when all you really had to do was take a moment and take a break from all the work that you were doing and sit with, what do I want from this? What's the goal that I have? And what are my current objections to this? This is something that I do every time I create a program, every time I um, you know, put a post out that is about like enrolling new clients or at least reaching out to people about you know, what they're, you know, where they're at in terms of if they wanted to hop on board, whether it be one-on-one -on -one coaching or group coaching. I sit down and I write the question at the top of my journal and it says, what are my objections to this? And the reason I ask that question is we have, everybody has baggage about what we're allowed to have, what we're worthy of. And my, when I ask the question about my objections, I'm getting curious about my unconscious ideas of why I think the program I'm about to put out won't, won't work or why it's a bad thing. So earlier in my, my process with my business, I was... I had a lot of money stuff tied up in people that are paying me money. I feel bad because I feel bad when they pay me money because that's money they could have used for something else. And if that's my belief, if that's my objection, it doesn't matter how hard I work. It doesn't matter how many people I ask, that energy is going to be received by the person I'm talking to. So I had to clear that up. I had to sit with why it's okay for people to pay me money, why it's actually good for them to put money on the table and pay, take a bet on themselves because you know, when they do that, they're going to be intentional with the work that they do. They're going to come back to their families and lead with more love. They're going to go to their businesses and, and do things in a, in a higher fashion than they were before. So I had to rework my own belief system 
about what I was worthy to have, meaning the money from the client that was about to come in so that I could actually have a business that would be sustainable. Um, but if I were to not acknowledge that, if I didn't look at my own objections to my own business, I would just keep working and keep talking about it and keep hustling and grinding as they would say. And I would never realize that in the end, it was just me keeping myself from the result because I didn't think I was allowed to have it. So what you're really talking about is self-sabotage, essentially. it's uh, This goes with anything in life, right? It's like if you get into a relationship, but you don't feel like you're worthy of love, you're going to end up doing things to make that relationship end or make mm -hmm. your other partner break up with you. If you go into business, it, you know, like as you said, you may not charge or your, whatever energy you carry on, you're going to pass on to others and they're going to feel that and you're going to get that same exact uh, self-fulfilling prophecy that you set out in life. Yeah, so, for sure. So what stops men from seeing and having the results they want in life? Is it this or is it the, you know, I call it the thermostat, I guess you could say. It's that thing uh, of where everybody feels comfortable at. If they go above it, then they typically find some way to drop themselves down, you know, to a lower point to where they are, to they, where they do feel comfortable again. So what stops men from having the results they want in life? So <clears throat> I think there's a couple things. Uh, the first one that comes to mind is that they want something that what they think they want is what somebody else wants, meaning that they've never spent time with what do I actually want or am I just projecting my goals based on what I saw somebody else do on Instagram or what my parents did. If you have goals that are not aligned with who you actually are and what you actually desire, you're always going to have a disconnect between you and what you think your result should be because you're working towards something that you unconsciously and subconsciously don't actually desire. So I think that's one reason that guys have a space or a disconnection between themselves and getting the results they want is that they're working for something that they don't actually desire in real time. So that, that kind of creates that space between them and what they want. I, I think one of the bigger things is that worthiness piece though. If, if they do actually know that they want what they want and it's true to them and it feels aligned to them, it, it's a matter of, do you believe that you're allowed to have it? And do you believe that that gets to be yours? Because those those two ideas of worthiness and, and it gets to be yours, um, they're huge. And, and if you truly don't believe that it's it's for you, then you'll find ways, or the universe will find ways to show you that you're right. Because you're like you said, you, we are we are all living, breathing, self fulfilling prophecies. We always lead with the belief that we have. So if our belief is that, that million dollar mark isn't for me. My kind of people, where I'm from, that's just not what we do. You know, that's, that's just too big. I actually have a client that we're kind of working through some of this stuff right now. Um, he's, he's from like a, a working class town. He's from uh, a family that had some financial troubles when he was a kid. And he, he owns this marketing agency in Miami, Florida. Like he's, he's living a pretty good life. Like objectively, if you zoom out, the dude's doing well. Um, but he's like, I, I don't like this roller coaster of making a ton of money and then watching clients walk away or kind of seeing a dip in the business. And it came back to like where you're from and your experience with, with how you grew up and how your parents had some financial troubles. There's a part of you, 16-year-old part of you that saw some, some rough stuff happen with money and decided that being like absurdly wealthy is not something that you get to experience. It's just not something that your family gets to have. And yes, you've kind of bucked against that trend a little bit and you've created wealth for yourself and you've done well, 
But if you're trying to rise above the limitation that you keep experiencing or the frustration of the this roller coaster of finances, it really comes back to addressing what you experienced when you were a kid and saying that was a unique experience that was not universally true, meaning just because I experienced it doesn't mean that it's the only way that life happens to people. Um, and, and deciding from that point that with a new belief, because we are self-fulfilling prophecies, that I get to have what I want. And if I want something, that means that that it's something that I can acquire and actually enjoy. Um, but if we, again, stay on default mode and kind of stay unconscious within our, our lives, we can run some rough patterns. And those patterns can lead us back to tragedy and trauma and being broke or kind of experiencing the frustration of not breaking through. And it's really just what are you believing while you're taking action? What do you think is true for you while you're taking action? Because if we just address the action, like if I just went to my client and said, do this differently in your business or try this different tactic with with your clients, um, he might have had an uptick in business. He might have had something that changed circumstantially for a brief moment, but we're talking long-term success. It really comes back to your beliefs aligning with wherever you're actually trying to go. Because otherwise you're just going to stay in the experience of where your beliefs allow you to be. I'm glad you actually brought that up. The subject of uh, we we convince ourselves that we want things that other people want. And we think that that's actually what we want. Because I know a lot of people, I actually had a problem with this. It was during the whole hustle culture, the whole entrepreneur thing. When entrepreneurship really started exploding, you have Mm -hmm. all these Guru, gurus and influencers saying, you know, make millions of dollars, make 10 million, make 100 million, you know, don't stop, keep going. And it's like, I fell into that for a while. Mm-hmm. I know, I know a lot of my friends that fell into that too. And it's like, it sounds nice. But when I really look back at it now, it's like, like I'm the money part, like, of course, I want to make a lot of money, but it's, I was starting to focus it, focus on it as my main goal. Instead of uh, when I take a, took a step back, I realized I just really want to help people. And that's when I started repositioning that as my main focus instead of, you know, millions of dollars, or whatever. That's when life really started to open up and change for me because I was actually enjoying what I was doing. So I can make money from it in a way that I want to make money from. And I feel like a lot of people are still going through that right now. Like they, they think that, you know, they have to make 10 million and a hundred million dollars to be happy. And they just want to get to that goal as fast as possible. But um, there's something else I wanted to bring up. It was masculinity, like you said, has obviously changed from our grandparents' age to, you know, our parents to our age. Yep. So what is masculinity to you now? And do you think it's important for a man to find his own version of masculinity and manhood and what it means to him? Yes, I think it is definitely something that is, well, you can find your own version of masculinity within the general guidelines, I guess, if you... uh, if you want to put a label on what masculinity is, like there's this general sense of what the masculine energy is and you can pick and choose what feels right to you, what feels aligned to you um, and make it your own. But I think there's some, some general principles of what it means to be masculine. Um, And, and I think what's really, really important too, is that masculine and feminine, they are energies, they are not people. And we all have some masculine and some feminine. And I think one of the biggest things that has, has, come out through the work that I do is allowing men to embrace some of their feminine side, some of that emotional stuff, some of the the stuff that they've been told to shut up and, and not not feel. Um, because that that balance of the masculine feminine is a beautiful thing. And if we feel like we're too rigid in our masculine, 
we can kind of feel disconnected from that other part of ourselves. So I think that's one big thing that I think a lot of men need to hear is it's okay to feel some of that feminine energy, be in your emotions. Um, some of their feminine traits are like being in the flow of the moment, um, having fun, laughing, playing, and experiencing joy in a real, real genuine way. Like these are feminine energies. And so many guys get so serious and like, I got to work, I got to make money, I got to do this and that. And we miss out on the opportunity to actually experience a bigger and more fulfilling life because we think that the other stuff is too girly, too feminine, but it's such a beautiful thing to bring into your life. So I think that's one big thing is that being masculine is actually a dance between masculine and feminine. You're going to spend 90% of your time in the masculine, but allowing yourself to have some of that feminine in your life, being the emotional person every once in a while, uh, having a good cry when it's necessary, enjoying and being present with the people that you're around rather than thinking about the next dollar you have to make. like That is a beautiful uh, place to live in. And I think so many guys would benefit from opening themselves up to that side of the spectrum. But back to just masculine core in general, like masculine is you're an action taker and problem solver. You are, you're strong, you're steady. And I think one of the biggest things for, for me is uh, a general feeling of safety. Like you provide safety for the people that you care about. And I think in the general sense of, of like masculine of old versus masculine of new, or at least the, the new version of masculine I'm, I'm trying to prop up with the men that I work with is provide and protect is still a beautiful and admirable role to play. But if we only think provide and protect in the physical sense of things, we're missing out on some stuff. Meaning providing in a physical sense is just making the money. And protecting in the physical sense is making sure that if someone's in physical danger, you take care of them. So these are masculine traits. They're beautiful. They're amazing. But if we think that that's all our role is, then we're missing out on some of the other deeper things. So providing and protecting emotionally and mentally is just as important. It's still the same role, but it's in a different realm. So, um, you know, protecting their mental state, protecting their emotional state, allowing them to feel safe in what they want to share with you, in their imperfections, in their um, their insecurities. Like this is just as masculine as protecting them physically and providing in that emotional and mental space is giving them the the space to be themselves, providing that that safe space at home. Like that is so, so masculine. And it's something that I think is some men miss the mark on because the the way that our parents did it, our fathers did it, the, the generation before was provide and protect was very physical. It was very surface level. It was take care of the money and take care of their safety. And it's still a beautiful thing. We're not rejecting that. But at another level, on the emotional and mental level, we can provide and protect um, their well-being in such a beautiful way as well. And I think that if guys are open to evolving who they are in their masculinity, that's one of the big things. It's taking the physical nature of what we thought masculine was in that provide and protect stuff to a different level, a deeper level of making sure that they feel safe, making sure that they're heard, making sure that they're seen. Like that's a beautiful masculine trait to have um, for, for guys that are husbands and fathers for sure, because you're, you're leading. And if you're leading the family or leading the dance, as I say, like you want to make sure that they feel safe in all of their screw ups and feel safe in the home that they live in. Um, and I, I don't know if there's a lot of guys that are conscious of that side of the masculine uh, nature that we're trying to portray. Does that make sense? Yes. So 
when you were growing up, did you have to find a balance or are you still working on a balance between your masculine and feminine energy? Because, like, for example, um, when I was uh, younger and I was dating, most of the time I would be masculine, except for when I actually legit allowed myself to fall for a girl. Then mm-hmm. I'd, you know, fall a lot more into my emotional side and I was really off balance. So when you're off balance, I noticed it was just a lot more stress for me. It was just it was just a really weird uh, kind of negative feeling. So I had to learn to, you know, navigate that uh, my, and find my own balance really between masculine and femininity. So for now, I'd say a good balance for myself is like you said, about 90, 10 or 85, 15, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, did you have to go through like that work of finding that balance? And how do you, uh, how would you give advice on how to help men navigate that and find their own balance between, you know, not being just, hundred percent all masculine all the time thinking you have to you know take on the world and keep going and doing this and you know no downtime and you don't feel anything versus you know being too much into you know your feminine energy and throwing off your whole masculine balance in general yeah i mean i i would say for me i was fairly well balanced um i think i was probably more feminine than the the average guy in terms of my emotions my sensitivities um, my, my wife has lovingly called me a sap before. Uh, yeah. So I, I definitely have more of the emotional side of the spectrum than most guys do. But I have also, not that I'm, I'm rejecting the balance, but I, I have found that as I've grown into a husband and father and have seen my role um, shift from one of individuality to one of taking care of people, I've definitely swayed into the masculine further. Um, you know, a perfect example is this year when COVID hit, um, my wife is a makeup artist and she's fantastic at what she does. And she's definitely a big part of our, our family's finances. Um, but with COVID being a thing, especially we live in New York. So like the restrictions were pretty substantial. Um, they like they, she wasn't allowed to do, do work for up until maybe a couple of weeks ago, because with, with doing makeup. One, they, if they're wearing a mask, you, you can't do a full face of makeup. And two, like you're as close as you're going to get to a human while they're breathing when you're doing makeup. So they're like, yeah, you can't do makeup until we get to a place that we feel like it's safe. So anyway, so my wife had to step away from her job for a while. And, you know, in, in the past, I would have really worried about that because it was another uh, dollar that I had to make. But what I saw was, uh, saw it as was, I get to step into my masculine and take care of my family now because before we were kind of both playing that game. I have, you know, my business and I teach and, and I do all of that stuff. And, you know, I, I would say that I'm, I bring in the majority of our finances, but when it became my duty to take care of our family by myself financially, it was an opportunity to really step up in my masculine, which has been great. I mean, it's been amazing. My, my wife's kind of getting back into work now, but just knowing that that was an opportunity to, to, embrace my masculinity even more was a fun time for me. Um, so I've always kind of been balanced, but I've definitely, as I've, I've seen that my role is to take care of my family, the masculine has increased in terms of that balance, of, you know, 80, 20, 85, 15, I don't know. But for guys that are struggling with it, I would just, you know, urge them and suggest them, suggest to them, um, you know, just kind of give yourself a, a very, informal inventory of of what part of that scale you're on because it is just it's a spectrum like you're you're swinging back and forth there is no there is no perfect 
percentage of masculinity. I think that, that, you know, having a good balance and playing on both sides of it from time to time is important, but there's no perfect balance. What I would say to, to guys that, cause I've definitely coached guys and like, I don't know how to feel like I, I've forgotten how to, I don't know how it works because they've been taught not to. Um, what I tell them and I'll say to, to the listener is they don't fear leaving your masculine for the feminine. Because the way that this works, at least generally, I'm not saying for every single person, but usually you have a specific core energy. And most guys have a core energy of masculine. Like that's kind of where you would call home, if you will. And we're always going to call it home. So if we leave home, we're always going to come back to where we came from. And so many guys, I think, have some genuine fears about staying. So we're in our masculine all the time. If I leave my masculine and I go have a good cry or I go and, um, you know, I laugh and play with my kids, I feel like I'm never going to return to this masculine that I've become familiar with. I feel like I'm going to get lost in the feminine and never return. What I'll say to that is like, you always return home. Masculine energy is likely your core. So you're always going to circle back and come back to that center of action taker, problem solver, the strength and stability of your family. Like that's always going to be there. It's your innate nature. So just lower the the idea or, or lessen the fear that you're going to get lost on the other side of the spectrum and not be able to find your way back. Because I think that is a big part of the hesitance for most guys to explore the feminine, the emotion, the, all that stuff is they, they don't know if they'll ever find their way back to the masculine that they call home, that they find to be very familiar and safe. Um, you're always going to come back. You'll always, and on, on your way back, you'll learn more about yourself in the process. But I think there's a lot of guys that are just scared to even dip their toes into that water because they don't want to lose themselves, but you don't lose yourself. You actually gain more and complement your own energy more by kind of taking that leap into the other side. You know what I think it is? You said being taught not to. And the only reason why I really ever had a problem with this was only because um, I was never taught, you know, like, don't, you know, men up or, you know, all the typical macho stuff you hear from a lot of people. Yeah. My problem, uh, and I feel like a lot of, at least the men that I know too, it goes back to what I said about men feeling like they don't really have a space where they can go to. Like they don't have that person to confide in. They don't have that girlfriend, that wife, that father figure. A lot of times they, you know, barely feel like they have that friend to go to that they could really be open with and vulnerable to. So yeah. I think it's more, not that we were taught, but I think it's just men don't have that place where we can go to, where we feel like we can actually be confident and open and honest about everything that we're going through. Um, you know, it would just like unfiltered, especially because I know a lot of men, they feel filtered in their speech. They feel filtered in what they have to say. They feel like they can't say anything because someone's going to get mad at them. Someone's going to say something to them. Or a lot of times just no one's really going to care about what they're going through or what, how they're feeling or anything like that. So I think that's the main thing. Cause I know, especially, uh, I do know a lot of men that feel like masculinity is being demonized right now. Um, do you mm -hmm. see that same thing too, or no? I mean, I, I do see people believing that masculinity is being demonized. Um, I don't necessarily agree with the idea that masculinity is being demonized. I think that that um, men are being called to evolve what their masculinity looks like. And there is, you know, generations and generations of of backlogged evidence as to what masculine is supposed to be. It's, you know, it, when I, I'm saying in quotations, although this is an audio program, what it's been supposed to be has been that mad men, 
um, you know, you get the money, you hang out with the boys, you have a drink, you go home, your wife makes you dinner, she takes care of the kids. Not that that is the expectation of most men, but they don't want to give away too much of the power of that. Because if you think about it, in that that role, in that idea of what masculinity is, there's not a lot that a guy has to do to have a happy life aside from making money. Like the wife's going to take care of the kids. The wife's going to take care of the food. The wife is the the caretaker. Um, so like it's, it's not being demonized. It's just asking men to address that spectrum that we were just talking about in, in a way that they haven't been asked to before. And I think in, in anything, if somebody is asked to, or called forward to change and they have gotten comfortable and have received benefit from their old way of being, um, it's going to rub some people the wrong way. I mean, <laughs> you can look at the race relations stuff in America. You can look at plenty of things where a certain group of people who have kind of had the upper hand are asking to, are being asked not to to give away all of their power, but at least bring other people to the table in conversation of, of like allowing the energy to be different. Um, you know, when you get comfortable being the the person that's kind of favored in the relationship, favored in society, it's tough trying to step down and saying, okay, I see your point. Maybe you're right. Maybe I should, as a masculine being, be a little bit more emotional or empathetic or caring. Um, and maybe I should take care of my wife's emotional needs and not just feel like I need to give her a paycheck at the end of the month so that we can take care of the kids. Um, you know, it's it's not being demonized. It's actually calling masculinity forward to be better and be more. And I think it's a beautiful thing. Um, it's just that I think there's a lot of guys that are attached to what their perception of masculinity should be. And since the the new wave or the new request is different, there's a lot of pushback. I think that's probably all it is. I suppose it's more in the approach then, right? Because it, it when you're trying to convince somebody to do something, you can't just be like, hey, you need to do this or you're wrong if you, if you act like this or whatever it is. Like, you have to kind of communicate to them in a way that, you know, they can see in a more uh, better, you know, more empathetic, more like uh, from another person's perspective type thing, instead of trying to push something on them or whatever it is. So I think that could be also part of the problem. But Oh, for sure. Uh, like, people don't change through through words alone. Like debates never really work. It's usually something that someone has to experience so that they can get to a level of emotional attachment to it. Um, so that they can, they can kind of call it forward and say, okay, I see why this would be of benefit because I've experienced in some way, whether it be through a thought exercise or, um, actually like living through something they're like, oh, okay. The old model is a little bit broken. Maybe we should change some stuff. That's the only way that change actually happens. And that's, you know, I've been part of it too, but like in 2020, there's been a lot of people just talking on social media about what things should be like. And words don't really change people. And it does take a level of experience um, and getting into the kind of the nitty gritty of the situation rather than just having a um, a bullet point battle back and forth of what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's bad. And uh, yeah, whether it's masculine versus feminine, whether it is, um, you know, the, the race relation stuff in America, like conversation starts the process, but we do have to get into the nitty gritty and, and find a Heart, heartfelt way to allow people to experience what should be the path uh, rather than just talking about it, for sure. Mm. 
So just wrapping it up a little bit. So what are some key components to a man changing his life, especially since there's men from various situations, lifestyles and issues? Um, what are some key components? So I, I believe we went over a couple of them. You know, you said mm-hmm. a lot of them. Yeah. Uh, I believe also uh, getting into a group with men that you can be open with and vulnerable or whatever it is to discuss even your frustrations, because mm-hmm. a lot of times uh, what it is with men, I feel like it's just, you know, they're just frustrated because they feel like they have nowhere to go to or turn to. So I think that's really important. Uh, what are some other key components to a man changing his life? I think a key component to whether it be a man, woman, doesn't matter to anyone changing their life is getting clear on what they actually want. And like dream big, don't think small, don't think off of your old perceptions, like really call your shot and and get clear on what that is and then spend more time observing that, thinking about that, feeling into that than you do complaining about your current reality. Um, Something that I've been working with my clients on recently, something that I've been doing for myself for a few years now is I write these, these visions, these vision statements, if you will, of my year, but we, my clients and I've been talking about it on a month to month basis. But the point is, Every year, I I sit down on my computer at the end of the year, and I write myself a vision of what happened in the the year that follows that. So for 2020, on December 31st, 2019, I sat down and wrote a vision of what 2020 was going to be like. And a lot of it was different from what I was currently experiencing back then. But the point of this is, I then spent most of 2020, like 98% of my mornings, the first thing I would do I would come to my computer and I would read my vision back to myself and I would spend time looking at it. I would spend time thinking about what it would be like and what it's going to be like when these things come to pass. And I think there's so many people that have goals that, you know, they, they call their shot, but then they just kind of put it in a box and never think about it again and just wait six months. And then they're like, oh, wow, it didn't happen as I thought it would. I, I wish it would have been different, but it's really because the way that we live our lives, we're always staring at our current circumstances. We're always you know, focused on the conditions of our current life. And if we're trying to expand and do something different, we have to give more energy to where we want to go than what we're currently staring at. So back to like the, the vision statement that I made, you know, on that vision statement, and I had no idea or, or right to put this down in terms of my current circumstance, but I wrote down, like it was the first, pro, uh, first paragraph was... Um, you know, by December, my wife will be seven months pregnant and she's going to have a boy in, in her belly. And, um, you know, I wrote about how my daughter's going to be excited to be a big sister and stuff like that. My wife and I hadn't started trying yet. We hadn't even um, thought about that in a real way. It was just something like, I know that this year I want to, you know, expand our family. And in December of this year, my wife will be seven months pregnant and it's going to be a boy. Like she's pregnant right now. And we just found out recently it's a boy. And I firmly believe that a part of that was me giving energy to that every single day up until the point that we actually created the baby. And that might feel too out there for some people, but I promise you in terms of creating something different in your life, you need to give energy and attention and awareness to where you're headed and what you want that to feel like rather than being so obsessed and in a complaining state about where you currently are. Because otherwise, you're just going to get trapped by more of the same. You're never going to ex- you're never going to be able to escape your current conditions by staring at them, because you're just going to continue to create more of it. Because the energy you have, the ideas you have, the thoughts you have, the action you're taking will be reflective of what you keep staring at. So if you're not staring at where you want to go enough, 
You're just going to keep staying where you are. Mm, I love that, man. So what is the ultimate vision for where all this is going? Like, like, where are you uh, taking this, with taking your business, especially with coaching with men? What, do you have an ultimate vision or something you're creating towards with this? Yeah, man. I, the, the vision is that I create the most massive ripple effect for husbands and fathers that has been seen. And the reason I, I say that is I have seen through the clients that I've worked with that ripple effect, and it is what, it's what I have become addicted to. Like the money is cool. I'm not going to say that money's not fun. Um, it's great that it supports my family and brings in more money for my family. But when I get messages on on Facebook or Instagram from my clients' wives saying thank you for the work that you're doing with my husband because he's a changed man, like that ripple effect is everything to me. When I see my my clients posting pictures and having fun with their kids on Facebook or Instagram, I'm like, yes, okay, this is what I'm here for. So like that's that's the mission. It's just create the biggest ripple effects possible. Like as COVID starts to lessen up, having some some retreats and having some in-person experiences along with my coaching programs, because I just want to touch the lives of as many men as possible because I know from that place, if they're husbands and fathers, those the principles that they learn through me and the the experiences that they have with me, they're going to take back into their homes and into their businesses. And that Ripple effect, like I said, has become my addiction. Um, so I, I really look forward to it, it growing. It's already a ripple effect that I can I can observe, which is awesome. But I know that it's going to just get bigger, which is is what I'm looking forward to the most. Mm. So that goes back to one of my my favorite quotes. Actually, I believe it was Marcus Aurelius who said, uh, "Everything you do ripples through eternity." And mm. so I, I like I like what he said there. But uh, just a couple quotes that I wanted uh, that I thought. Um, that you wrote that I actually, uh, it was on Facebook that I actually liked. And it was, uh, your life becomes the accumulation of all your choices, but most choices are unconscious and repeated patterns. And another one is deciding who you want to be is so much more powerful than deciding what you want to do in life. So uh, is there anything you would like? I sound to smart. Or... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um all right, so the first one again. Can you read back the first one? Because I, I got caught up in the second one. What was the first one again? <laughs> sure. <laughs> your life becomes the accumulation of all your choices, but most choices are unconscious and repeated patterns. Ah, yeah. I mean, we've we've mentioned it a few times in our conversation here, especially when it comes to masculinity. There are so many choices that we get to make every day, but like science is saying that we're we're making 90% or more of our choices unconsciously. We're just repeating the same patterns that we did the day before. And if you've repeated patterns on a daily basis for years and years and years, you know, you're just going to create the same life that you did 10, 15 years ago. So we have the option of many choices. It's just a matter of waking up and being conscious of what those choices are. Um, and that's where things get to change when we actually get to apply the brain that we have. And then what was the second one? The second one was <laughs> deciding who you want to be is so much more powerful than deciding what you want to do in life. Ah, yeah. Yeah, that one's that one's neat too. I'll take that. That was that was pretty good. Um, yeah. It's. I mean, deciding what you want to do, I think, is where most people start. You know, what do I want to be? Like, what what do I want to create? What do I want? To, what build business do I want to build? What career do I want to have? What do I want to do in our physical world? And it's a it's a decent place to start. I'm not going to say it's a wrong place to start because when you choose something that you want to do, it often is going to align with and, and create a path 
for who you want to be. But if you start from a place of who you want to be, you can fit any activity, any business, any career into the mold of who you want to be, and you can create your life intentionally from that. You know, my um, my business, my priority, everything in my life revolves around my ability to, to kick it with my family when I have time. Like my, I'm a family man first and foremost. Like that's why we are recording this now at 8 p.m. Eastern time because my wife or my my daughter went to bed 10 minutes before we started recording this podcast, and all my client calls are during nap times or they are during uh, you know after hours when my my baby goes down for for um, for bedtime or you know I, I make sure that my priorities are always coming through and that's a decision of who I wanted to be. I wanted to be a family man. I wanted to be a husband and a father that um, you know, honored the legacy of my dad that we spoke about when we first started here. Great dude, great husband, great father. And I wanted that first and foremost. That's who I wanted to be. And from that place, I get to, I get to kind of play in this, this, this life and just put things into that role that fit. And my business fits into it. My teaching job fits into it. My, and my everything fits into the role rather than me deciding that I wanted to be a CEO and then somehow trying to figure out my family from that place, I decided who I wanted to be first and then got to create things and put things into that world that just get to fit naturally. Awesome, man. I love that. So is there anything else you'd like to add while we wrap this up or um, where people can reach you at on social media? I believe you have a website and I believe you also have a book, correct? Yeah, man. Yeah. I wrote a book last year. It's called Moving Past Mediocre. So if you found anything that I've said to be interesting uh, during this conversation, I really think that you would enjoy my book. Um, writing has been my my muse, if you will, when it comes to how I create content. I love the written form. I like being silly with the way that I write. I like the metaphors that I think up from time to time. And, and you know, the book was a fun, fun process for me. So Moving Past Mediocre is the book. You can find that on Amazon. Um, you can find me on Facebook or Instagram, both of them. You just look up Nick Maytash and that last name is spelled M-A-T-I-A-S-H. It's a very bizarre spelling, but that's what it is. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, I have a website, nickmaytashcoaching.com, uh, where you can certainly find out more information about the membership that I've mentioned a couple times in here. Um, but yeah, I think those are all the spots, man. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure rocking with you and, and getting to know uh, you through some of the stories that you've shared, but also sharing some stuff from my past as well. Um, so I appreciate you having me on. Thank you very much, Nick Maytash. Right. Everybody <laughs> you <got> else, <laughs> thank you for uh, watching, listening to this episode and check out the other episodes. And uh, if you like what this guy is saying, follow him on, on his social media, go to his websites, buy his book. And uh, that's about it for this episode, guys. Take care. Thank you. Bye.